Hello and welcome back to the Top 4 Tiz podcast. It's been a while, I know, a bit longer than we would have liked, but we are back nonetheless. My name's Lucas Ross, I will be your host this evening. And joining me, as ever, we have my good friend and fellow QPR fan, Tom Ward. Tom, good evening. Good evening, Lucas, and good evening to all the Top 4 Tiz listeners. Right then, with no further ado, we shall get the ball rolling by starting... In League One, arguably game of the weekend, which ended Sheffield Wednesday for Cheltenham 1, with George Byers playing well, Lee Gregory, Amanda Match, QPR old boy Massimo Luongo. Tomo, what do we think of that? I think it's a big result for Wednesday, to be fair. Um, they were coming under a little bit of pressure because they've been playing well at home, but they've picked they picked up a couple of poor poor draws, really, with Accrington and Gillingham. Two sides have been in which you'd think when you're going to be in and around the playoffs, you need to be beating, really. Um, and I've got a mate who's a Gillingham fan. He's actually part of the top four to his team. And he said that in that game against that uh, Wednesday, where they drew nil Chills were actually the better side. And so this was this was a good performance of Darren Moore and his side. Very convincing. I feel like Cheltenham, they're on the beach, really. Um, they're not, they've had a very decent season. They're currently 12th, aren't they? You know, 50 points. They could not pick up another point all season and stay up comfortably. Um, and so they probably came into this game not really wanting it. And obviously with Wednesday, have a lot to play for. And it leaves them sixth, doesn't it? Just in the playoffs over Sunderland. And yeah, very, very, very tight up the top six at the moment. Yeah, just on Fort Mob at the moment. And the top six picture in League One is indeed narrowing. And I think... Any side down to Bolton in 11th is still in it, in my opinion. But they have six games left of the season. They're not in it. They're not in contention for the playoffs. Certainly not going to go down either. So as you said, yeah, they could not pick up a single point all season and be playing League One football next season, which I think is signs of a solid season for Cheltenham and for Michael Duff's men. Moving on then to another game that we had this weekend. It was indeed um, quite a crunch clash at the top with, with Ipswich overcoming Plymouth by a goal to nil with Sammy Morsey getting the only goal of the game for the Tractor boys as they go eighth in the table. Bit of a setback for Plymouth, I must say, as they sit fourth. Um, Tom, I'll let you take this one away. Um Shrewsbury won Lincoln nil. Yeah, that, that's a big result for Shrewsbury. Just to quickly mention that Ipswich game, though, I think it was massive for Ipswich to get that win as Plymouth had won, I think, six on the bounce, keeping, I think they kept something like five clean sheets in a row at home or something daft like that. So for Ipswich to, obviously at Portman Road, to be fair, but to beat them 1-0 in, in a good performance, it's kept their playoff hopes alive. But as for Shrewsbury beating Lincoln, it's a bit of a nothing game, really. Um, both sides probably going to stay up pretty easily. I think Lincoln will be disappointed with this season, um, especially coming off the back of last year with losing to Blackpool in the playoff final. And obviously, Michael Appleton had his, his and thankfully he's well now, but he had his uh, testicular cancer issue at the start of the year, which probably did affect the side. But I think Lincoln's main issue this year is they probably didn't strengthen and replace those lone players enough. They, they lost Brendan, Brennan Johnson, Morgan Rogers, and Tom Hopper, who, even though he didn't score, was a key part of their side. Um, and they have strengthened in January, but I think they started the season so poorly that 
it just it got into the side sort of mantra to be inconsistent. And I mean, you look at the players on there, John Marcus, Chris Maguire, Teddy Bishop, all players that, even the likes of Morgan Whitaker, who's on loan, but they're all players who are very good on their day, but they'll only be on their day maybe two to three times every six or seven games. Do you know what I mean? Every other game, they'll have a, a poor game or an off game. And I think Lincoln, Shrewsbury, their front two of uh, Ryan Bowman and Daniel Udo, they... They are both, again, they're patchy players, but they've hit form now. And three wins on the bounce for Salop, beating 5-0 over Morecambe, 3-0 over uh, Rotherham, and now a good 1-0 win over Lincoln. And the final game in League One involves one of the success stories of the second half of the season in Gillingham. As they, as I remember, we said a couple of weeks ago as they were appointing Neil Harris that he has to get ready for a season in League Two. Now he's seen him really turn the ship round and Gillingham now sit 19th in League One. It's been a fan, it's been a fantastic last couple of weeks with Connor Masterson coming in and solidifying things at the back, um, as well as his fellow QPR only Charlie Kelman. QPR old boy Maxima at the back has been a revelation too. And Vadane Oliver has been really, really good as well. Tomo, we said we said a few weeks ago Gillingham need to get ready for a season in League Two. Boy, of how how we've been made to eat our own words now. Yeah, I think Neil Harris it, he's done a superb job at Jills when since he's come in. I think what he's done is he switched to that three at the back formation. He's got youngsters in Jack Tucker and Connor Masterson. You mentioned Masterson, obviously on loan from our club QPR, a player who arranges in in sporadic appearances. He looked good, but just lacked a little bit of sort of experience at the back and would often make make a few inexperienced mistakes. And Tucker, I've seen him play a couple of times, and he's a very similar player. Very good defender, but occasionally makes the odd mistake mentally. And with Max Emer in there, who's been at Gillingham a while, been experienced at this level especially, he's in the middle of those two. And I think he probably tightens that defence up really well with two talented players either side of him. But the key man really for Neil Harris has been bringing Ben Thompson in from Millwall, who... Even though he didn't, he doesn't always get goals and assists. It's just his overall quality on the ball, which allows the side to to play off him in that number ten role. And because Vidane Oliver is a very talented forward, um, and we we know what Charlie Kelman can do. He's he's very raw, but very, um, but he's certainly talented as a player. Um, and I think Jills now they they look safe to me, even though that might be putting the mockers on them, but. With how poor the likes of Fleetwood, Morecambe, Wimbledon, Doncaster have been this season, and obviously Crewe are already relegated, but Jills have now got a four-point cushion. Yes, there's a game in hand on the Dons, and, a, and a, two games Fleetwood have on them, but I can't see Fleetwood and Wimbledon winning those games. You know, Wimbledon haven't won since December. Um, so I think Gillingham what a job Neil Harris has done and there's certainly something to build on there for next season for him and yeah the, the, as I say definitely but do you want to touch on Wimbledon because I tell you what that is a miserable miserable place right now I think I'll touch on them quickly five losses in a row no wins since 7th of December in either league or cup Christ I would not want to be a middle a, not, I, would, I would want to be in, oh no I wouldn't want to be a Wimbledon fan right now because it's really looking properly grim for the Dons um as the as Mark Robinson I think I, I don't think he's got long left in the in the hot seat I think 
if, if he doesn't, bold statement again, but if they don't sack him in the next week, they're down because it's really... I'm going to stop you there because I have a feeling I saw him get sacked on Twitter earlier. And now it's one of those things where sometimes it can go very quiet, but I'm pretty sure that he, he maybe walked... I think he might have walked away, but there, there was a club statement that got retweeted um, but they did give him a vote of confidence, didn't they? No, there you go. Mark Robinson has today parted company with Wimbledon. So, yeah, he is gone, um, which is crazy, really, considering that only a couple of, I think it was literally just before the the game on Saturday, they all came out and backed him and said he's the man to move forward. So I don't know if Robinson himself has gone. I don't think I can get any results with this or, or obviously the, the board have changed their mind just like that. Wow, um, I did not know that. So thanks for telling me. And um, yeah, some pretty gargantuan news coming out of Plough Lane. Head coach Mark Robinson has a departed company of AFC Wimbledon by mutual consent. Are you sure that he wasn't sacked? Because this run over the last three and a half months has been nothing short of abysmal. Um, Wimbledon fans, what do you think? Let us know. Drop us a message on Instagram or or we have a new email address as well which I think I might promote which I might use this opportunity to promote promote now top four tiers at gmail.com and four is spelled f-o-u-i as in the word for so that's top four tiers at gmail.com and I think that's everything for league one once again if we don't touch on your club I am sorry but we have a lot to cover in each episode Moving on to League Two now, and I think we're going to start off with the, the completion of a pretty remarkable record from Port Vale as they become the first club to beat every side in the 92. Tomo, that's a record to be proud of, isn't it? Yeah, and there was no better way for Jamie Proctor to seal this with an unbelievable goal in the 23rd minute of Bell Park. I mean, it was Decanio-esque the way he... He jumped and scissor kicked the ball into the top corner. A goal of win- worthy of winning any game, really. And it's going to be disappointing from a Sutton point of view because all of a sudden they've gone from, you know, third place in in the table and looking at all in the automatic spot to not. And they haven't really had that bad of a run of form. They've lost three in their last five, which you could say is poor. But they've also picked up a draw and a win. But all now they're on sixty one points and they're tenth. Um, so it's crazy how quickly things can change in, in League Two at the moment. And Port Vale, their form has been really, really good as of late. I mean, 4-1 win against Crawley, followed up by a 3-1 win against Mansfield, a 2-1 win against Bradford. And then they did pick up a draw at with Exeter in midweek and now a big win at, against Sutton. So they've fly, flown up the table and I think it's massive for them obviously there's a bit of a situation surrounding their manager Daryl Clark who who suffered a family tragedy about six weeks ago and still hasn't been back with the team since then so we pass on our all our regards to Daryl and and his family and hope it's all all right for them but he'll be liking what he's seeing so far from his side that'll certainly be cheering him up because the playoffs now look very, very likely for, for Vale. Yeah, and as he said, um, nothing but the best for Mr Clark and um, his compatriots. But Sutton, let's not forget, they are still two points off fourth, so it can change very, very quickly. And obviously, here's the thing, this is just mental to think that if 
if they win the next game and results elsewhere go their way, they could jump back into fourth. And again, if results providing results go their way, they could be three points off that golden third spot. And and I think it's their away form letting them down more than most of all, because they're thirteenth um, when it comes to away form, but they're fifth in the league when it comes to home. As for Port Vale, um, it's been really really good for them with Malvin Benning getting man the match, and obviously James Wilson and Jamie Proctor putting strings up top. But yeah, I think Port Vale, you can be proud of yourselves with. Um, that new record, winning it, beating every side in the 92. Moving on now to a, to a game which is basically rubber stamped relegation for one side. It is Scunthorpe nil, Harrogate three. It's been a really atrocious season for Scunthorpe. But I think it's just a matter of what has gone wrong. They've won four games all season. Um, they've won four games all season, only won once. Only one of those wins has come on the road. Their last game, their last two games have been a 5-1 drubbing away at Salford and now 3-0 at home to Harrogate. What what is going on down at um Scunthorpe? Tomo, do you have anything on to say about the current situation? I think they've just got to look towards the National League next year. When Keith Hill came in, I think there was a little bit of hope, there was a little bit of a bounce, but their squad's just not good enough. And to think it's side that only three or four years ago was pushing towards the top of the, the division in League One to all of a sudden fall out the Football League. I mean, we've seen it with so many big clubs, the likes of Chesterfield, Halifax. There's loads of massive clubs down there, obviously Wrexham now. So it's not going to be easy to get back up. So they've got a massive task on their hands in the summer to identify who is going to be up for it in the National League and who isn't. Um, and while we're on that subject, obviously Oldham Athletic, they've now lost six on the spin under John Sheridan, despite the so-called Chez erection when he came in. And I think it's one of those things, John Sheridan is a, not a bad manager, especially for Oldham. And it was the right appointment, I believe. But he can't work miracles forever. And I think the squad got a massive lift when he came in. But as we've seen now with the six defeat on the bounce, they can't. You know, he just seemingly it's papered over the cracks, his appointment. And there was a bit of a lift, but that lift has gone now. And I think they will probably get relegated, especially with Steve Evans in at Stevenage. Yes, they did lose their first game, but I think that they'll probably start to grind out a few results. Yeah, no, I think Oldham, I think the new manager bounce has certainly worn. He was appointed in January. I believe he was appointed after the 6-0 loss against Wigan in the EFL Trophy. It's a matter of the new manager bounce. They won three games out of four and went unbeaten in seven games, but they've just gone and lost the last six and are, and are seemingly on a one-way ride towards um, losing their place on FIFA 23. Um, meanwhile, I'm just going to... A team who's been... A team who's seen a bit of a turnaround in form lately has been Leighton Orient. They're six unbeaten now as the new manager effect carries on with Matt Harold seemingly doing a very good job for Leighton Orient in his first couple of games. I think it's Richie Wellens. Richie Wellens is their manager, I think. Richie Wellens, it says Matt Harold for the, for the last game. I think Wellens might have been away for whatever reason. It's, 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 coming up as, it's coming up as Matt Harold, but... I'm pretty sure Orient appointed Wellens. Um, I could be wrong. I'm just going to do, do a Google search. Yeah. Um... I, I thought I saw it a few weeks ago, but... Another manager that was in the dugout in that game was Phil Brown, and we all know him. There'll be no stone unturned at Barrow till the end of the season. 
but I think that uh, is it Wellens? Yeah, Wellens. It is. It says yeah, on, it is says Wellens, on Google. Yeah. I think he needs a big job, and he certainly started very well. Couple of draws and then three back-to-back wins has pretty much secured Orient safety this year. And they were never really looking like they were going to go down, but there was at some points before the sacking and just after the sacking of Kenny Jacket where they were starting to get a little bit worried down at Brisbane Road but he's galvanised them and, and really moved them up the, up towards lower mid-table which is good and they can be, even be eyeing a top-half finish now they could they could easily catch the likes of Crawley in 12th um, so that's probably what they'll be looking at as for Barrow Phil Brownie needs he needs at least six six points in his next four or five games I think because when the pressure comes on, the likes of Stevenage and you could see Oldham easily getting a few results in these last sort of eight games. And so he's got a bit of a task, hasn't he? Yeah, no, I think, yeah, he's got a bit of a task at, at Oldham Athletic. It does go without saying, especially as they suffered late heartbreak, losing in the 95th minute to substitute George Lapsley's goal. And Matty Longstaff as well. Remember him? Yeah, he's in League Two now. He grabs an assist for Mansfield. But I think it's Reese Oates up top who was really pulling the strings on Saturday. Has he got a goal and man the match as well with an 8.4 rating on Botmob? As for Oldham, they should be really panicking. Whether they pull the trigger on Sheridan yet, I don't think that I think they should give him till the end of the season. But I think their game tomorrow at the time of recording against Lace Norian is a really big one and one which they need to get something out of. And based on previous encounters, they haven't beat, they haven't won against Orient since 2014, and that was in the Cup. Their last league win against Leicester Orient came in 2012, for crying out loud. So if I was an Oldham fan, I would be quaking in my boots for the game tomorrow because it's really looking ugly for them. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, it's probably not... They're probably the favourites to go down alongside Scunthorpe. But as you say, you never know. Um, just another game I want to speak about, Lucas, if all right. The uh, Carlisle beating Bristol Rovers. Well, it's just because I wanted to say about Paul Simpson at Carlisle, who has done amazingly, really, since he's come in. I mean, if you look at their squad on paper, it, it really isn't that good for League Two. And that's no, no offence to these players, but you've got the likes of John Mellish filling in at centre-back because of injuries. There's no Callum Guy in this game. Yes, Christian Dennis is a bit a bit of experience, but they hosted, you know, a red-hot Bristol Rovers side who've moved into the sort of automatics contention recently and played them off the park, really, with Dennis getting the winner. Amari Patrick as well. Yes, Rovers had a bit more possession, but Carlisle, four big chances in the game and uh, as opposed to the one. And so a lack of clinicalness, really, and they could have had three or four in this game but it was a good game between two good sides but I genuinely do believe that Simpson if he's given a good summer and a good amount of players in the side that have got the quality that they could possibly challenge for promotion next year because he's worked wonders and he is a very very good coach I think just quickly on the Bristol Rovers side of things Joey Barton's done really really well recently and, and they will be disappointed with this but I think they've got a probably put this game behind them because they host Bradford on Saturday and then go away to Tranmere, which Tranmere are terrible away from home, but at home they're a, they're a very tidy outfit and very difficult to beat. And then they go to, then they host Salford and then go to Port Vale and then host Forest Green. I don't think you could find a harder four games than that, to be fair. So they really do need to put this result behind them and, and carry on that run of form or they could easily slide a top seven. Oh yeah, he's looking... 
it is looking tasty up there. Obviously, Forest Green, they've they're, they're starting to lose their breathing space at the top of the league. We all thought in January um, they were going to run away with it, but a bit like Gillingham being relegated, we were wrong. And Exeter and Northampton are back in it. Will it be Exeter's year? They've been pressing so long and fallen at the last hurdle so many times. But this year could well be the year that they do inevitably go into League One. As for Bristol Rovers, yeah, that they will be disappointed because it brings it brings a run of four consecutive victories to a grinding halt. And it was good, it's good to see a very tight defensive performance from Carlisle with Mark Howard getting man in the match um, with an 8.4 rating and then the back five doing well for themselves. Um, as for Bristol Rovers, they they have a, they have a, they have a couple of games as well coming up, as you said. They have Bradford and then Tranmere, who are interestingly when it comes to home form, they're top. When it comes to away form, they're fifteenth. Based on that, it could well be a very interesting fracas indeed. And Bristol Rovers sixth on away form as well. So yeah, and as I said, it'll be quite an interesting fracas there. Moving on now to some of the international games that we've seen over the weekend in European qualifying. We've seen, obviously, we've had our England came from behind to beat Switzerland on Saturday with Conor Gallagher doing well for himself in one of his first matches for the Three Lions. As for Switzerland, though, they'll, they'll be disappointed that they let it slip away from them and ended up losing the game. As despite a good performance from Granite Xhaka and Jirdan Shakiri, it just wasn't to be as they lose 2-1. Tomo, do you want to touch on a couple more international games? Yeah, just quickly on the England game. I, I watched it all, obviously, um, as I do with every England game. And I thought we played OK. Obviously, there was a few new players in there, the likes of Gallagher and Walker-Peters, both on the debut. I thought Conor Gallagher was very impressive, to be fair. He put himself about and wasn't afraid to make mistakes, which a lot of England players, especially on your debut, you wouldn't be anything wrong with playing a few safe and things like that. But I think that overall, it's probably a good, good way to blood the youngsters in going 1-0 down early because... A lot of the time with England, you know, you can play awfully and still win three or four nil comfortably. Um, so to go one nil down, I think, probably gave him a bit of a kick up the backside. Um, also, I thought that obviously Ben White was getting a little bit of criticism for the goal. Yes, he was at fault, but I thought he didn't do badly, especially when they shifted him to right back in the second half. He was very confident going forward with the ball. Um and I always have liked Connor Cody, and I thought Gway wasn't too bad either. But my main takeaway from the game was the performance of Jordan Pickford. Um, and now you could say that's not a good thing when you're talking about England with the goalkeeper being the best player. But a lot of people were coming out against Pickford recently saying that they think Ramsdale should start. But he's never, ever let England down. And so I've always stuck by his side because I think, why drop someone who's never had a bad performance in an England shirt? And again, he was brilliant in this game. I thought he made some very, very good saves. And his, as as normal, his distribution was excellent. Um, always hitting, hitting the targets and getting the attack started, especially in that second half. But I don't know what you thought on that. Yeah, no, I, I didn't really watch the game because I was busy on Saturday night. Um... But just looking at what I've been told and some and some of the stats, it does it like a pretty tidy game. And obviously Conor Gallagher, I'm happy for him that he did well in his debut. 
Tyrick Mitchell as well, one, one of the biggest success stories of the last few years as well. As for Switzerland, they'll be disappointed, as I said. Moving on to, I'm just going to touch on a few more international games on from Saturday. Um, I think Germany beating Israel 2-0 was a good game with um, Kai Havertz really pulling strings and Kevin Trapp coming on to save a penalty for the Germans is perhaps he perhaps he's him and Ter Sagan are the ready-made replacements for Manuel Neuer. He's he's aging a bit. He's 36 years of age now. I don't think he has that long left in the tank for the Germans. Looking at another I think game for the Welsh viewers, we've probably got to talk about their game against Austria and an unbelievable performance from Gareth Bale. Really, wasn't it? Yeah, I think I think I've seen his free kick and oh, it was what quite, a goal! It was quite incredible what everyone saw. Bale with one one of the greatest individual performances. Still only got a nine point two on Fotmob. I swear it's impossible to get a ten on Fotmob. But um, yeah, no, obviously with that world class free kick. But I think that wasn't even the biggest talking point to take away from that night. I think that has to go to Italy not qualifying for the World Cup with um, with Alexander Trajo. Travkowski um, scoring in the 92nd minute for North Macedonia to break Italian hearts and, and make it a 12-year wait at least for the, for their next World Cup. Tom, what do you think about that? I mean, it's crazy that you can go from not qualifying in 2018 to then winning the tournament in 2021, technically, in the Euros, to then not qualifying for the World Cup in 2022. I think they were complacent in the qualifying. They were complacent, Italy. They thought... We'll qualify with, with the European champions. We'll will win these games easily, but obviously that hasn't come to terms, and their arrogance has got the better of them. In that game against Macedonia, they absolutely battered twenty odd shots. I think they had, and Macedonia might have only had two or three. But um, would you like to hear the stats? I have them up. In yeah, front I of would. Me. Yeah, here's um, a resident stat man. Here we go. They had thirty two shots all in all. The Italians did thirty two. They only managed five on target. Um, a further 11 off target and 16 were blocked. No woodwork hits either. Um, but North Macedonia only managed a, a measly four shots and zero big chances as well. And then he managed two on target. So it just goes to show you don't need to batter a side to win. You don't need to, you can be battered and still win. As QPR fans, we've learned, we've had that a couple of times this season, battered and got battered and still lost. No. We battered them. We had battered the opponent and still lost. But it was a classic example of got battered and lost. A bit like Real Madrid versus Sheriff earlier in the season. Yeah, it did remind me a bit of that game. But um, I have to admit, I, I, I don't feel for Italy. Not only because I'm a bit salty because they beat us in the Euros final, but also you can't be complacent in international football because it doesn't matter what team you're playing, they're all the best players in that country. So they're going to have quality and they're going to be able to... I mean, the Macedonia goal was a great goal. What a strike. Arrowed it into the bottom corner. But, I mean, to have 32 shots and only muster five on target is terrible. 27 of your shots, not even to hit the target. But, I mean, we're not an Italian football podcast, so I don't know why I'm getting so um, passionate about it. But I do think that... That's what happens when you, you're complacent. And I think England have a, a lesson to learn in that, that when we do get to the tournament with the draw, I think it's next week, you know, the draw. Um, whoever we're playing, you never know. We've had it happen to... I think since our Iceland wake-up call, I think we've been a lot more 
a lot better, especially under Southgate, at preparing for the smaller sort of teams as well. Yeah, and I think some of the smaller teams preparing under Southgate, for example, hitting double digits against um, San Marino for crying out loud. Okay, it's San Marino, but still managing to get double digits against anyone is impressive. Um, but yeah, no, I think um, Italy not qualifying is big. That's all I have to say. Um, and yeah, that rounds off the podcast for this week. So thanks very much for listening, everyone. If you're new around here, please give us a follow on Instagram um, at top Forties. And if you have anything to say to us, please, um, and you want to say it directly, please email top Forties at gmail.com. That's top four as in four spell F-O-U-R tears at gmail.com um thanks for listening me and tom will be back next week with some more content um to grace your ears and in the and in a couple weeks the format of the podcast will be getting an upgrade as well so plenty to keep your ears peeled for tom are any final words before we round off um all i would say is if you guys have any questions we might be adding in a bit of a i'm gonna spoil one of the little things but a little bit of a q a sort of thing at the end with a couple of fan questions so if you do have any, just fire them over through the email or through Instagram DMs. We'll be able to answer a couple at the end of every pod, maybe. Yeah, no, so that is top4tiers, F-O-U-R, top4tiers at gmail.com. Or DM us over Insta. Um, and yeah, please drop us a follow. We're trying to hit 20,000 followers as soon as possible. So thanks for listening and goodbye.